1: Before the throne of God, both great men as well as the weak, the educated one as well as the simple, the rich of the world as well as the poor, all of them, you know what? We all stand on level ground. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your history is. I don't care what the, what the police rap sheet on you is or what your degrees are. We all stand level at the foot of the cross.
0: What a beautiful truth. In the eyes of God, we are all equal. As Paul expressed to the Galatians, In Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. The same was true of the Corinthians, and the same is true of us today. In today's message, Pastor David encourages us to find our level footing in Christ. All believers are the work of His redemption, and He has made us righteous in the eyes of God, no matter our social standing or even how long we've been saved. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, All of Christ.
1: Feel at that point when everything is working in, in prosperity. There's there's no problems. There's no sickness. There's no issues in their life. Thanks God, I've got it from here. Okay, I'll call you if I got a problem. And so men kind of back away from that constant, continual devotion to Christ. Sometimes success becomes our very ruin. And yet, even the even in the highest classes of men, there are those, and I realize that I. I've known a couple of millionaires in my life that were true, solid believers, loved the Lord, and it was evident in every aspect of their lives. I understand that there are some, but like Paul says here, not, not many of them, not many of them. One of those, not that I knew her, but I came upon this story this week, uh, Selena Hastings, she was actually the, the, the countess of Huntington in England. She was a member of the aristocracy of England during the 18th century, and, and ever since she was a small child, she had felt this, this draw to the things of God, but here she was in this class and in this family and in this whole culture that really didn't seek after God, but when she was a child, one of her uh, friends passed away, and as she attended her funeral, God just kind of came over Selina in, in a powerful way. She was surrounded by opulence. All of that, that that comes with wealth and status. And she didn't find any peace. She didn't find any satisfaction in those things. And she had often uh she she would get away, even as a little girl, she'd get away and she would hide out in a closet so that she could literally pray out or commune. She didn't really know how to have a relationship with God. No one ever showed her, no one ever read to her, no one ever taught her, no one ever mentored her or uh, gave her the example or modeled it for her. But she knew that there was something there and God had placed that within her heart, even as a young girl. And as she got older, she would commit herself, commit herself to, to times of fasting, times of just prayer and trying to commune with God, looking for that peace with God. And finally, through, through the testimony, actually, of, a, uh, of, of an equally ranked sister-in-law who had come to faith in Christ, Selina um, came, came to know Christ through that. And the balance of her life then was spent in promoting the gospel there in the courts of England. The likes of the Wesley brothers, John and Charles, she knew them. Uh, can you imagine being in that time frame? And she knew John and Charles Wesley and was sat under their teachings on multiple occasions. George Whitefield uh, became very close with her and she would actually have George Whitfield come and, and literally preach to her court of, of people there. That's the kind of woman that she was. They, they all played a major portion in her Christian growth. And again, I, I just recently came upon her testimony and I was thinking, well, there's not many noble There in 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 Corinth, but you know there are some that do come to know Christ. It's a hers is a beautiful story. Uh, It's a declaration of a life that's totally given over to her Lord in the midst of all of these earthly distractions, things that would cause other people, again, just to walk away from the Lord and just get so involved in these things. Story goes that one day the Prince of Wales. Ask one of the ladies of the court, Well, where is the Countess of Huntington? And uh, this one of the women of the court there who did not like her uh, says, Well, I suppose she's praying with one of her beggars. And so the prince then responded back to this lady. He says, Lady Charlotte, when I am dying, I think I shall be happy to seize the skirt of Lady Huntington's mantle just to be lifted up with her to heaven. That was the influence that she had even for the Prince of Wales. When Lady Huntington was asked one time that how is she, as, as, as a noble woman, uh, an aristocrat there in the court of England, how did she ever become converted? Her reply was, by one letter. Person asked by one letter. What do you mean by one letter? She says, Yes, it's in God's word. It's found in First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Not many noble are called. That M saved my soul. If he had said, Not any noble, I must have been damned. So God blessed that little letter M before any to the salvation of my soul. Not many noble are called, but there are some that are called. Well, again, in Corinth, Paul gives the reason for his description, for his chastising this group here. Paul Paul speaks to a, a group of statements that Can almost be looked at as uh, phrases of oxymorons that, you know, uh, you know what oxymoron, jumbo shrimp, you know, military intelligence, those kinds of things, you know. (laughs) Verse 27, he says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame those who are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen. And things which are not to to bring to nothing the things that are. God's done all of that for one distinct purpose, that no flesh should glory in his presence. There's no one who's going to be able to stand before God at the end of his days to be able to stand there in his own strength, and his own ability, and his own success, in his own prosperity. There, there's no one that's going to be able to do that. There's, there's never been nor will there ever be a, a, a king or a president, uh, a warrior or a commander, a corporate executive or a multi-billionaire that will ever outshine the glory and the majesty of God. I don't care who they are. It's only through the grace of God that, that any of us are able to stand. And before the throne of God, both great men as well as the weak, the educated one as well as the simple, the rich of the world as well as the poor, all of them, you know what, we all stand on level ground. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your history is. I don't care what the, what the police rap sheet on you is or what your degrees are. We all stand level at the foot of the cross. You see, for you and I as believers to get puffed up in in any reason and for any case, for any mindset or any idea, for us to get puffed up about anything, has God gifted you with a gift? Praise God, it's his gift that he's gifted you with. Don't you dare get puffed up about it. Can can you, has God done a great work in your life? God has done that work. Give him the glory. We can't get puffed up about those things. You see, because our and, and, and being puffed up, suddenly I said, "Well, you know what? What God's able to do in my life. Sorry about what your yours is. Uh, you know, but, but you know, let me share with you what God has has accomplished in my life. And I'm really sorry to hear about you. Um, but suddenly we we start putting these divisions among each other, rather than realizing, you know, what we're all pardon the expression, but we're all just bags of dirt. Okay." We are redeemed bags of dirt, which is great. But in and of ourselves, there's nothing there. There's nothing to boast about. There's nothing to get puffed up about. There's nothing to separate ourselves from. And I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's education or uh, background or experience or ethnicity or economics. I don't care what it is. There's nothing that should separate the body of Christ. We are one in him. It's through the grace of God that we stand. All of us come. We come by way of the cross and none of us on our own merits. Paul Paul wasn't slamming the people of Corinth. He he really and truly wasn't even putting them down. He was simply trying to get them to see how nothing in this world's economy or class struggle meant anything anything in God's kingdom. The lady of Huntington, an aristocrat, of the royal court of England, you know what, she's gonna to stand toe to toe with a beggar on the street who gives his heart to Christ. Equal there. That's just the way it is. Really and truly, it doesn't matter what our standing in the world is. As a believer, you and I possess great spiritual wealth, and the fact is, is we possess it even now, and yet the sad thing is, is for many believers, we don't tap into that spiritual wealth. I'm not talking about earthly prosperity, and I know that there is a lot of preachers that preach earthly prosperity. I gotta tell you, the problem with earthly prosperity is too often we use God for our gimme, okay? Gimme, gimme, gimme. God becomes our Santa Claus. God becomes our, 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 our vending machine. Hey, if I say the right words, if I form the right words in my mouth, then that binds God to do this or to do that. And I want to tell you that that's, that's, that's almost blasphemy. That, that's, it's truly a heresy because that, that's a new age understanding. That, is a, that comes straight out of the new age. You speak it and you'll, you'll make it so. No, God spoke into existence. God is the one who has that authority and that power. We need to be careful in who we think we are. We are nothing outside of Christ. We need to look at ourselves and look at others through the kind of of heavenly vantage point and not through the standards that the world offers us over and over again. Christ shows himself strong to those who recognize their own insufficiencies and their own inadequacies. Paul reaffirms, he reassures the church in in verse 30 that that it wasn't because of their works or their abilities or their personal standing, that it wasn't because of any of that that brought their salvation. It was completely of Christ. He says in verse 30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is, as it's written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord, this idea of our salvation being of him. Once again, it draws us to that very clear understanding that it's all about Christ and we are in Christ Jesus because of his work and his call in our lives. We need to stop following the wisdom of, of the world and thinking that in it we're gonna find fulfillment or that we're gonna find peace. It's only through our right relationship with Jesus Christ that we'll ever be able to find rest in the midst of the storms that come into every one of our lives and the salvation that comes at the end of our journey. Says, what do you mean salvation that comes at the end of my journey? Well, we, we're going to look at it in a minute, this idea of, man, we were saved, we are saved, we're being saved. It becomes fulfilled at the end of our journey. And right now I'm looking around, most everybody's still in journey here. I don't see anybody that's there yet, okay? <laughs> okay. So we need to call the wagon. The wisdom of God is him knowing the greatness of our need and and, and that fulfillment that can only come through the sacrifice of Christ. That's the wisdom of God. God determined to save to the uttermost those that would come to him through Christ. The weak, the poor, the strong, the rich none could come on their own merit. So God, in his wisdom and in his love, he sent Christ for us. He became not only wisdom from God for us, but he also became our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. The very idea of, of righteousness, those three words there, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. These are powerful words. These are these are words that, that for you and I in our walk in Christ, we need to have a, a good, solid understanding. What does that mean? You say that uh, you're redeemed in Christ. What does that mean? You say that you're uh, uh, sanctified in Christ. What does that mean? You say that you're righteous in Christ. Christ is our righteousness, and that very idea of that word righteous uh, has a connotation of it's, it's the fulfillment of the law. It is the fulfillment of the law. For someone to be righteous, there, there needed to be, again, that faithful fulfillment of the obligation that was set before them. You have an obligation before you, you fulfill that obligation, that's the meaning, that's the understanding of that word righteous righteousness and justification. They're interchangeable in in that sense. To be righteous means that you have been justified according to the obligation of the law that was against you. You had an obligation before you. We all did. It's the holiness of God, the law of God. None of us could fulfill it. None of us could even come close. Probably you've seen the little illustration that Campus Crusade for Christ years ago put that on one side is the cliff where you and I are. Then there's this huge deep canyon. That canyon could be only 20 feet wide, maybe 25. We'll give it 25 feet wide. God's on the other side. I don't know. How far can the longest uh, uh, running jumper jump? Can he jump 25 feet? I don't think so. I think 21 or 22 feet. You know what? I might be able to jump from here to to that chair. I'd probably break my leg in the midst of it, but it wouldn't matter because I'd fall short. And so would that long jumper. Even if if the, if if the gap between was 25 feet, if he was able to jump 24 and a half feet, he'd still fall short. There was an obligation before us that we could not fulfill, and in order to be righteous. That obligation had to be fulfilled. It's a judicial act of God. He, 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 as the supreme judge, he declares uh, that again. Here is the standard. You've missed the standard. Therefore, you are guilty. And only he, as the judge can then turn around and say, you know what? You are justified or you are righteous in the eyes of the law and to be held righteous as, again, confirming to the demand of that law. And that's only done for us through Christ. To be declared righteous, to be justified, is to have all of these claims of the law satisfied. You need to understand that the law isn't done away with, though. The law is still there. And in that, again, that illustration Campus Crusade had, there, there's a cross that lays across that, that long ca- canyon symbolizing that Christ is there. The, the canyon is still there. The separation is still there. God's holiness and righteousness are still so far apart from you and I to be able to even begin to apprehend. And yet Christ in his love and in his sacrifice for us He's the one that stretched himself out across that canyon. That through Christ, now, we can enter into that righteousness of God. It's in Christ that we have that righteousness. Again, the law is not done away with. The canyon isn't closed. No, it's just been declared completely satisfied. Our standing as righteous is what's called imputed. It's imputed righteousness. In other words, it's it's credited to our account. And you know what, it's credited to our account by none other than God himself. There's not, a, there's not a third judge that stands over there and says, well, God, here's you and here's your people. I'm gonna stand back and I'm gonna see, well, okay, yeah, they made it. No, it's God himself who is the judge and he credits it to our account. He declares that an individual is justified, righteous in the eyes of the law to be held righteous as forming to that demand of the law. To be declared righteous and justified is to have all of the claims of the law satisfied. And as we come into that, it comes to us again by by virtue of that completed work of Christ. As and only as a believer through faith comes into Christ. Faith becomes the condition or that instrument of that imputation that it becomes to our credit. It's through faith or by faith. Faith, again, you need to understand, faith itself isn't a work. Faith is simply a channel by which we receive the completed work of Christ. Faith is not a work on your part. Faith is a surrendering on your part of saying, hey, you know, I have to come by way of faith. We are, for by grace are you saved, through the instrument or through the channel of faith. It's a work of grace. That grace is the work of Christ. It's ours. It is imputed upon us. It becomes ours through that instrument of faith. From the point of obtaining righteousness, we then secure what's called our sanctification. Remember the second word that Paul tells us here. Christ is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. Our sanctification also, that, that, that's not our work. That's a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And sanctification, beloved, you and I, we need to understand, it's a lifelong process. From the time we come to Christ until the time we lay this whole carcass down, it is a process that he works within us. It, it, sanctification also, it needs to touch every area of our lives. There's not an area within the life of a believer that our sanctification should not touch. And again, it's true that when we come to Christ, we we were sanctified. We speak of we were saved, but we were sanctified. But it's also true that daily we're being sanctified. And once this immortal puts on, or once this mortal puts on immortality, we will be sanctified. Again, it's a process of perfection. It's a process of separation from the things of this world to the things of God's kingdom. The, the base of the Greek word for sanctification is the word that we use also, holy, holy. It's the same base, the same Greek word base, agios. It has that same understanding, it has that same meaning. To be sanctified means that we are being made holy. When you first come to Christ, through the blood of Christ, God looks at us and says, you are holy because he what? He sees us through the blood, through, again, the, the the covering of the blood of Christ in our lives. I don't know about you, but I don't often feel holy, but I am holy in Christ. And at the same time, he is making me holy. He is working in my life. He is... Taking my life through the process of this life and working those things out of me and working the things of God into me. When we come, when we de- we're declared holy in Christ, we also need to remember that perfect sanctification is not available in this life.
0: That's all the time we have for today on The Open Word. We hope today's message has touched you. Pastor David Landry will continue teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians on the next edition of The Open Word. But right now, we'd like to share with you how you can hear more from Pastor David. Just visit TheOpenWord.com and click on Teachings to hear or download past messages. You can also get in contact with us with any questions you might have or let us know how we can be praying for you on your faith journey. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We are thankful you've listened to today's message, but want to make sure that this isn't your only source of spiritual nurturing. We encourage you to find a church family who will help you grow in your walk with God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, we'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande.
1: Here's Pastor David with more information. Hey, thanks Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande for a time of worship and fellowship and studying the Bible. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning and on Wednesday and Saturday evenings at 6.30 p.m. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you.
0: Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Open Word.